Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Good? There's like three people over there in the fan club, apparently. Great. I see that money got into your accounts. Thank you so much. Perfect. It's like two bucks in there. You'll be your biggest fan. Don't worry. Uh, it's so great, like, whenever you get to preach in a spirit-filled church, because you usually notice that God is working to preach your message before you even get up to bring the message. And that's certainly what has been happening this morning. Just, Richard, thank you for, for bringing that word and being obedient. I'm sure there's lots of different words here this morning that people have, but it takes something to, to be obedient and to bring that word in front. And as we know, uh, the elder leading the service has to weigh that word and decide if it's right or not for the moment. And we're actually going to be uh, looking at the, the story of Joshua this morning, and there is a moment there where we'll look at what it means um, when the Israelites were just before the walls of Jericho. And I just firmly believe in that the, the the prayer that was prayed after that and what you prayed there, Paul, as well at the end of the service is, is firmly the foundation of what God has put on my heart this morning. Uh, we are in a series, but we're a bit of a bad church where we, where we keep it secret until the last possible moment in terms of what we're going to sp speak about sometimes. And uh, yeah, over this past week, I've been shifting in my heart. And as we came to the end of the week, it's just, no, this is it. This is where we're at. But before we get into that, and just thank you, Lord, for, for confirming um, some part of the message here this morning, who's become a parent in the last sort of five, six years here at Oceanside? You know that we have, there's a few other names. It's an amazing time to become a parent um, because you can get all sorts of different resources. There's all sorts of things at your fingerprints. You can sit your kid down in front of an iPad and you don't see them for hours. It's amazing. Uh, no, don't do that. But one of the apps that we found out about when we were uh, first raising Zion, Zion, how old are you now? Four years old? Nearly five, everybody. But yeah, so nearly five years ago, we found this app called The Wonder Weeks. And it was told to us by other parents. And it was an app that if you put in the approximate date, um, the due date of your child and, and a few other facts and figures, that it would predict when your kid was in a bad mood and when your kid was in a good mood. If you got that slide there, Ethan, this is what the app looks like. It may come up. It gives you a, it's called a leap chart that comes up. And it gives you, hey, the app's actually looked a little bit improved since, I, since we used it five years ago. But basically, it would give you a storm cloud when your kids were supposed to be angry. And it would give you a happy sunshine uh, when your kids were going through a good season. Has anybody had that app when they're raising their kids? Anybody here? Hey, Paul's got it. How's that working right now, Paul? Pretty accurate. Pretty accurate, okay. There's a new app coming. It's called the Spouse app. And it's going to tell you, no, there's no such thing. <laughs> Paul, Paul puts up two hands. No, we all put up two hands, I think, for that one. But it's crazy when we look at what technology can do for us. And basically, the concept here is that it's about the developmental stages of your child. There's no sort of sorcery or AI involved. It's just the study of kids. Kids are pretty predictable as they grow up. They learn things at about the same rate that all other kids learn things approximately. So they learn to walk around the same time. They learn to want to communicate around the same time. They're sitting up around the same time. And the basic idea is this, is that your child is super frustrated when they know that they want to do something, but they can't do it yet. So Ellie and Zion, they were so frustrated when they knew that they should be walking, but they couldn't walk. And it was the most miserable times of their lives because they're standing up, they're falling over, they're seeing other kids walk around, they'd be like, no, I, I want to do that, it's my time to learn. And about two weeks of just misery for them as they're just frustrated with everything around them as they see this sort of leap before them that they can't step into. You can take that slide away, Ethan, thanks so much. And this is basically what I want to talk about here this morning. As we look through the Bible, and we hinted about it at a preach a few weeks ago, but I want to talk about generational leaps that are around us. And I want to talk about what God does in those leaps, but I also know that generational leaps, as we go through them, just like the Wonder App, just like our kids when they're frustrated, when they know another season is coming, but it's not here yet, that it can be frustrating. 
Today, as we continued sort of the Head to the Heart series or this God-shaped heart series, we're going to be look at when this sort of thing happened in the, in this, in the history of Israel. And so I mentioned it after, uh, after Richard's word there, um, that God's people were rescued out of Egypt under Moses, and they were, but they were stuck wandering in the desert, just to catch us up here. And then after Moses, his assistant called Joshua was commissioned to take them into the promised land. They could, Moses was around, they could see the promised land, but Joshua actually took them into the promised land. And the story of Exodus and Joshua uh, and all those other books around that time is a series of generational leaps as God's, go, God's people go from one season to another season, to another season. Sometimes two step forwards, sometimes one step back. And our primary text for this morning, we're not going to look at the beginning of Joshua's life where he took over that call. We're instead going to learn from Joshua and look at what he said at the end of his life, at the next generational leap after him. So if you have your physical Bibles with you this morning, you can turn to Joshua, uh, which is right at the beginning, a few books into the Bible, uh, Joshua chapters 23 and 24. And we're going to use it as sort of a, a template for how God wants us to go into the season that we're in. The reason why I want to talk about generational leaps at this time I think I always harp on this whenever I'm up here, but I always harp on what is happening in the technological world, what is happening in the social world, what is happening in the progressive world and all these other things. But the classical way of looking at the generations of humanity, at least for the last century, was starting in 1883 with the lost generation. Then in the 1900s, we went into the greatest generation that was in the, fought in the First World War. Then it was the silent. Then it was the baby boomers. Then it was Gen X. Then it was millennials. Hey, millennials, any of you out there? Perfect. Uh, then it was Gen Z. And now up to my kids, who I think are a generation alpha, or perhaps they get a cooler name when we figure out just what that generation is all about. But the fundamentals of why these sociological generations, why we pick these gaps between generations exist, is because there's some particular type of events that form that generation as a sort of cohesive bunch. Obviously, the lines are gray, but we, we recognize you know, why, why the baby boomers were shaped like they were, why millennials are turning out the way they are, why the greatest generation was so great. And if you notice on those gaps, if you ever see one of those charts, you'll notice that the, the, the range is about you know, 15 to 25 years of these generation gaps. But one thing that we know about our world today is that it seems that the flux of these generations and the speed of these generational changes type, type events is increasing and increasing. Today, the fundamentals that govern and rule our world where they used to change about every 15 to 20 years, it seems like these days it might last 15 to 20 months, and then the game has changed once again. And it's medical advancements, it's technological advancements, it's different wars, it's different ideologies, and it's different economic powers that form and shape generations. And out of each one of those advances, advancements, it changes what it means to be human. It changes what it means to be man. I think on the Connect Group outline last week, if, you, if you're in a Connect Group, you might have started out with this question after, after Nate's preached last week on the life of Daniel. He said, if you brought someone from 605 BC, which is when Daniel lived, and you brought them to today, what would be the most extra, extraordinary thing that they would pick out about society? I'm sure that they would have a lot to say about our society. But it seems like in this time that we could ask the same question about 20 years ago, about 10 years ago, about five years ago, and they would find our society extraordinary in its nature. The game is changing. I love keeping up with technology. I love keeping up with, you know, what's happening in the world of AI. I was showing Matt in the office this week. I was like, hey, man, that, that the robots are coming for your job because it was this, this artificial intelligence that uh, one of Elon Musk's companies, OpenAI, has made called DALI2. And it's this thing where you punch in a few words of what you want and the artificial intelligence draws you a picture. 
If you want to see a monkey riding a spaceship eating Cheerios, it will draw that for you, and it will give you 10 different options in different styles. You can make it look like it's from the Renaissance. You can make it look like a minimalistic thing or anything like that. It is fascinating what technology is doing. Perhaps the thing that people would pick out was rockets landing back on the Earth after delivering satellites into space or self-driving cars or medical inventions or interventions based on changing ideologies or perhaps it's what's going to happen with cryptocurrencies and the blockchain and, and different things like that. The world is changing and the fundamentals of our world are changing at a generational leap pace but instead of it taking a generation like it used to, now it's not. Now it's just taking a few years. And there's good and bad with each generational leap. A new technology or a new thing or something isn't good or bad in itself. A shovel isn't good or bad in itself. A piece of farming equipment isn't good or bad in itself. It's just an object. It's how we use it. But each of these advancements what they serve to do and the reason why humanity shapes itself around them is because it reveals what's in our hearts. When we're able to do more, our heart is able to desire more. When we're able to invent more, our hearts are able to design inventions that feed back into our hearts. It's like the internet. We had a conversation a few years ago in young adults where it's like, is the internet good or is it bad? Well, it's neither. We can go watch sermons online. We can get great Bible study online. We can do sorts of amazing things. We can stay connected and, and communicating, but we can also do horrible things online. We can use it to traffic people. We can use it for all sorts of different things. It's not the thing that is good or bad. It's the human interacting with that thing where the heart comes out good or bad. And this is really the, season, the, the series that we're in, and I think the last three weeks plus this week sort of serves still as an introduction of what God is going to say during this series. Paul is going to take us next week, if we go according to plan, he's going to drill down into a specific topic, and we're going to stay drilling down into more specific topics after this. But again, the world is changing. Wes said uh, in the second week of the series that Humanity has made the heart to be God. And that has been the problem, not just in this generation or the last 100 years, that's been the problem all along with humanity. And the question for us today is, what does it mean to follow a consistent and unchanging God in an increasingly inconsistent and ever-changing generation? Where it feels like the church is just finding her feet, it feels like the name of the game changes completely, and a, a, hard, a large swath of believers are rocked from side to side by what the world is throwing at them. Just like the Wonder Weeks app, when a new generational leap comes, it reveals the human heart, and there's a frustrating time of humanity working it out and putting boundaries in place and figuring out how to walk with that leap. So turning back to where we said we were going to go here is Joshua chapter 23. And I'm going to read quite a large section of scripture here this morning just to put us in. Again, the, the Israelites had come out of Egypt. They had spent 40 years wandering in the desert. And we join them now at the end of Joshua's life uh, when they've sort of taken the promised land for themselves. They've, they've gone to Jericho. They've defeated Jericho. They've gone to another uh, another numerous cities and gone after it. And it says, a long time afterwards, when the Lord had given rest to Israel, so they had, they had finished, they were at a time of rest, all rest to Israel from all the surrounding enemies, Joshua was old and, and well advanced in years. So polite for saying he's really old. Joshua summoned all Israel and its elders and heads and its judges and officers and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord God has done to all the nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you an inheritance for your tribes um, from those nations that remain. 
along with all nations that I already cut off. From the Jordan to the great sea in the west, the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning turning aside from neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix um, with these nations with the with these nations remaining among you or make mention of their names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. In 24, 24 verse 1, it says, Joshua gathered all the nations gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shalem and summoned the elders and the heads and the judges and the officers of Israel. And, and they presented themselves before God. And then in verse 14, he says to these guys who are gathered around, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served before the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. Lord God, we just thank you for your word here this morning. We thank you for the nations. We thank you, Lord, that you walk with us. I thank you, Lord, that even though we're looking at the Old Testament this morning and now we live in the light of the New Testament, we can still see your hand on your people through it. You are a faithful God, winning victories that are before you, Lord Jesus. And we just pray that uh, this message would speak to us this morning through your scripture. Amen. In verses 6 to 8 from 23, he says, Therefore be very strong and keep all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from neither the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining amongst you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. My first point for us this morning as we, as we learn what it means to exist with constant changing world around us is that we need to be strong and we need to cling to God. Back then in Joshua's time, the way that they, that they separated themselves from the other nations, it was a brutal reality that they faced. It was not the world that we face today. And they had to win those battles by war. God made by man and in that time, through the cities around them, the cities that were surrounding them, the Canaanites that they chased away and defeated, gods were made by man to suit their desires. Just like our world today, it's the same thing. We don't usually make little idols anymore or carve statues or things like that, but we do it with a whole host of other things. Egypt alone that the Jews came out of 40 years or more than 40 years from when this is being said, but even Egypt alone had 40 different gods, each to suit a different thing in that society for what you needed at that time. Gods outside of God's kingdom were made by man to suit their desires. Even the Israelites had a hard time giving up the ways that they had learnt uh, in Egypt. Who remembers the golden calf? Moses goes up to speak with God, and when he comes back, there's an idol, there's a golden calf. They think they've created this statue of a cow that can rescue them and save them, who's going to be bigger than the God who has rescued them so far. And this is what happens when we mix ourselves in and don't separate ourselves from the society. I've got another slide there from verse 7. What happens when we mix God and culture? Joshua lays out three steps to what will happen if we start believing in the gods of man. The first step, he says, is you start swearing by their gods. As I was studying this and as I was reading, for me that meant it starts, we start to believe what the world is saying above what Scripture is saying. We start to listen to the arguments that man is saying around us about this and about that as, as we advance in technology and that, that confronts what's, um, uh, the morals of today. 
we start passively, passively absorbing the world around us without challenge. And if left unchecked, a passage, a passive absorption of knowledge quickly becomes advancing the ideology of the world. Joshua says, you go from swearing by their gods to serving their gods. Passive acceptance starts working itself into action and advancement in your own life. And the last thing he says in this process is bowing down to their gods. And that's the final step of now taking on that God as your own God. As we reject our original God because we realize that the scriptures aren't compatible with this new God that has been presented to us. We see this time and time again with the, the journey that we walk as Christians. The first step in sort of leaving our Christianity behind and moving into the love of the world is often the acceptance of a man-made worldview that is not found in God's truth in the Bible. And then we really like the way it is presented to us by the world. It seems good. It seems right. It seems to represent love and happiness and all these other things. And this covers many different topics. And what we do as Christians is that we take that belief as we've started believing that God that has been set up by man, and we start to try to fit it around Scripture. And we start to try to, to talk about Scripture and to try to say, well, perhaps they meant this, perhaps they meant that. Perhaps, perhaps if, we, you know, if we elevate the words of Jesus above the, the words of Paul, you know, Paul was really strong on that topic, but Jesus didn't say as much about that topic. If we don't read Paul as much and we just read Jesus, then, then we can sort of make it work and make the puzzle piece fit. And that will work for a while and we'll see people continue their journey in their Christian faith but after a while, after we have rejected and twisted God's word, what happens, and this has happened with friends and people I know and people I grew up with and, and can happen even with myself if I don't catch myself as well, is that it becomes from a twisting of scripture to a rejection of all scripture. What happens in that process is when we try to make the puzzle piece fit, you know, you can Make a puzzle piece look like it fits, but if you really look closely, it's jagged, it doesn't, it doesn't fit, it's squished, it's smushed, it's, the, the lines don't match up or anything like that. And what happens is instead of coming back and saying, okay, I'm going to find a new puzzle piece to go in here, what can happen more often than not as we're surrounded by this alluring culture is that we then instead reject Scripture and we depart from the faith entirely. In Isaiah 5, verse 20, predicts this, and it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. When we love the created world, the fallen created world, more than God, this is where we end up. And the enemy, just like in the Garden of Eden, when he twisted God's words to Adam and Eve, he gets his payday when up becomes down and down becomes up. Jesus says this to, this, to his disciples in John 15, verse 19. He says, if you were of the world, if you were of this fallen world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And this is a warning bell from Jesus to say that, and the warning bells should be going off in churches around our nation for churches who are being overly celebrated by the culture at large. Of course, we should be celebrated by culture in the good works that we do, in the, in the programs that we have, in the, in the benefit that we have to our cities. And while those celebrations can still take, take place, there will be things that our culture will flat out disagree with, just as Jesus says. And congregations have started to form themselves about being an unprovoking mass of love in the name of all-consuming reconciliation to Jesus. But the trouble is, is that people cannot be reconciled to Jesus while given a picture of Jesus that isn't really him. The solution for Joshua, and the warning was real for Joshua. If you think about Joshua, it was a man handing over the nation to the next generation. 
How many of you, when you first jumped in the car with your kids and you've let them drive, I haven't experienced this, but maybe I experienced with my parents. How many of you, when you get first in with your 16 or 17-year-old kid and you let them drive, are you perfectly relaxed and calm? No, you're worried. You're seeing the biggest thing. You're seeing the worst reality. The, the worst accident is happening in your, in your mind as you're warning them. And Joshua says, as he's now letting those people drive, he's saying, but you shall cling to the Lord God just, have, just as you have done to this day. You need to remain close to God, just like Israel did when they came out of Egypt, the pillar of fire, the cloud, the manna, the following closely of God. For us, it's the community of faith and church. How many of us go through seasons where something happens and we can't come to church anymore? Maybe you're sick, maybe it's, maybe it's COVID, maybe it's all of this stuff. And it can be for really, really good reasons, like maybe you're having a baby and it's just super difficult to bring the baby to church or something like that. But as we lack our church community, this drawing away from God can happen as our community supports us. In verse 11 of Joshua 23, he says this, Be very careful, therefore, to love your God. Church, we need to be careful in our love for God. Because following God without love, if you're following the word of God without love, it produces a religion which then stirs up an overbaked and overburdened hate for people in the world. No love for the world and the love for God is mutually exclusive. In 1 John 2, verse 15 and 17, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world, get this, is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of the Father, sorry, whoever does the will of God abides forever. Point number two for us this morning here is what happens when we cling to the world instead of God? In Joshua 23, verse 12 and 13, and again, this is Old Testament writings, but it says, For if you turn back and cling, and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining amongst you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish off from this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Joshua knew that when they went into the promised land, the, the purpose of God's people at that time was to clear a boundary that their, his, God's people would remain holy and separate from the nations around them. God knew that even if they mixed with the world around them, even if they started to trade and integrate and marry and have families and all this other stuff, that they would start sacrificing their relationship with God for the relationship for the gods of this world. And again, we operate in a different mode. Jesus actually prays to the Father before going on the cross. Lord, I'm sending them into the world. We are to be sent into the world. We aren't to hold ourselves off from the world. We aren't to stay in this room and to form a cult and a coven and, and to seclude ourselves from anybody around us. But the warning is still the same that Joshua had in that time. And he says four warnings here that I think are interesting. And, and Ethan, I've got another slide there for us here. The first thing he says is that they will be a snare and a trap. For me, this, is mean, this means that we'll be tripped up in our journey and our walk of pursuing after God's promises, just as they were pursuing after God's promised land. He says, there'll be a whip to your side. We'll be held captive and punished as they trip us up and hold us to the side. And then this third one I wrestled with, but he said, there'll be thorns in your eyes. For that, for me, is that after we've been tripped up, after we've been held captive by the beliefs, is that we will lose all vision. We will lose all knowledge of what we once knew to be true. And this happened time and time again with Israel. God did amazing, amazing things, but then they became consumed with the world around them and they lost their vision. And the last one, the strong warning here, he says, until you perish off from this good ground. 
Don't let the enemy rob you. The faith of Christians perish when we bow to the world's gods above the true and living God. It's possible, Joshua saying, is to come into the promised land of Jesus and still to perish. For us, we don't take this as meaning of salvation. We believe firmly in this church that once you are saved, you are rock solidly saved. There is no no one that can take you out of the Lord's hand. If you've truly committed your life to Jesus, if you truly have recognized him and, and he has paid for your sins upon that cross, that they are paid once and for all forever. But church, I want to challenge us that we can still be a church that perishes in the promised land. The promised land was a physical land. It wasn't an internal inheritance for Israel. It was a physical land. And as we step into the life that God wants us to have today for the rest of this generation, we can perish in the physical land. We can reject God and we can slowly turn to the love of this world. In Joshua 6, 18, he says, but keep yourselves after, after they've um, had a war with a city. He says, but keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Church, we have to know what are the things that won't be coming into eternity with us. For me, it looks at every advancement, every technological thing, every app that I put on my phone, everything that I consume is, is this... Is the ideology behind this thing, is this coming to eternity with me? Obviously, we can live very strict lives following that law. But it's the biggest sense. Again, we read in 1 John 2, verse 17, it says, The world is passing away along with its desires. Joshua was saying to his people, don't pick up the desires that you fought with, that Jesus has destroyed, that God has destroyed before you to bring into the promised land. Now you're walking into those cities to take them for yourselves, but you're picking up the things from those cultures and and those things that form your desires. Why would we pick up a desire that is ultimately going to be passing away? We got to lay our treasures up in eternity. And point three for us this morning is that we are called to put away the the gods of our fathers. Turn to chapter 24 and look at verse 14 again. We read it earlier. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And I like the way that this is worded as he's speaking to the next generation that is coming up behind him. It seems from the way he worded this that maybe some of those other gods were already being celebrated. Maybe some of those other gods were already being brought out to some measure. They had to fix that. And some of us, like in Joshua's generation, our parents have worshipped things that are not God things. Our culture has worshipped things and taken on things that are not from God. And in the same way that Joshua was gracious with his people and said, "Put, put those things away. Take it from where it is and put it away. In the same way, God is gracious to us, but the command is the same. And church, for us, We need to constantly examine our hearts as we journey in a fallen world. A few weeks ago, I talked about Psalm 139, and it was about David, who was this guy who was just running after God's heart. But then he had a failure in his life, and he lost the plot. And it was a psalm that was written about how God renewed his heart. Ethan, if you have that slide. And David set out this example in Psalm 139 where he started off by saying, Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts and find any grievous way within me. And church, this is what we need to be getting good at. We need to get good at asking God to find our faults. We need to get really good at asking God to find the gods that I am propping up. 
I shared this years ago, but one thing that I used to love doing, you used to have an iPad app called realtor.ca. And uh, we still rent, we, we don't own yet, but it's fun to flip through the app. Uh, well, it's not fun anymore because house prices are, are terrible. But it used to be fun to flip through the app and to see all the things. And, and Camilla would flip through it as a reasonable, she would look at our price range, she would look at where we might be able to be in three or four years or whatever. And I would just be like, hand me the app, and I used to flip it from highest to lowest. Just show me the most expensive house in Nanaimo, please. This is what I want to do with my evening. And while that was fine and enjoyable, it changed something in my heart. It slowly started to make me bitter about what was actually our reality of what we could afford. I was no longer looking at the house that I grew up in provided me from my parents and extremely thankful for what we now had in Canada. But I was looking at what the world had around me way overabundantly and it started to shift something in my heart. And this is where this process of search me and know my heart, test me and know my thoughts, and find any grievous ways within me. God wants to lovingly bring us out and find the gods that we are propping up in our own lives. And then at the end, he wants to lead us in the way everlasting. When God finds a fault within us, he doesn't just point it out. We're really good at pointing the faults around us to those around us out, right? We're really good at, if you're on the right, yelling at the left. If you're on the left, yelling at the right. But God's ways are better. He actually commits to lead us out of those ways if we will let him. And it doesn't matter what they are. It doesn't matter how deep they are in our lives. God will lead us to everlasting life. In 2 Peter 3 verse 9, it says this about repentance and how God loves us. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We have to know when we identify the gods within our culture, within our life, that the only power that we can move away from those things is covered in the grace and the love of Jesus. It is, only it is only possible by the power of God that a person, Christian or not, can escape a God, a man-made God of this world. Because without God, our hearts are broken. The next point, point number four, is what is God's heart behind all of this separation for the Israelites? What is God's heart behind all of this separation for us? Separation from the world seems harsh for us. And it seems harsh for us because we're absorbed in it, we're consumed in it. I have to confess in my own life, I would pick and choose scriptures based on what is easiest for me and my friendship group growing up. Even though the name of the game has changed since I grew up, even in growing up as a young man in school, I just thought, wouldn't it be easier if that scripture wasn't there? Wouldn't I be able to share the gospel so much better if, if that thing wasn't there, God? If we could just change that, like I don't really understand why it's such a big issue for you. Why is that there, God? I struggled as a young man. But as our hearts come closer and intertwined with a holy God, we realize that it's not the harshness of God, but it's his extreme grace towards a broken world. We need to remind ourselves as we look at the heart behind of what God was saying to the, to the people of Israel, is we need to look at the bookends of the Bible. How does it start and how does it end? In Genesis 3, how did humanity start their walk with God? Imperfect relationship. They even walked around naked because they were unashamed. You know when you get, no, I won't bring up a story. That's stories that don't go in your notes are probably never good to bring up. Next week. <laughs> but man was in perfect communion with God. There was no barrier. And in Genesis 3, it says the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field and the, that the Lord had, God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? 
two things happened in Genesis 3. God didn't destroy relationship with man. Man destroyed relationship with God. We we rebelled against God, and we redefined what we wanted to be good and evil. God had defined in his word, do this, don't do that, and everything will be fine. And by the twisting of the lie, humanity believed that then we could create a better world by eating of that thing. Humanity elevated themselves and subvertly sought to replace God, which resulted in broken relationship. As we go through this series, and as we look at different topics, the reason why we're calling it, you know, From Your Head to Your Heart, or another title we've been playing is God-Shaped Heart, is because we want to look at what is God's heart behind all of these instructions. Why does God say we can't do that? Or why does God say we must do this? When it doesn't make sense when we put it up to the, to the, to the index page of culture. But as we look at the bookends of the Bible we realize for us today that God is about calling us back into perfect relationship with him. God wants relationship with us. In Revelation 21, verse 1 to 3, it says, this is a picture of the new heaven. This is a prophetic picture of what it's going to be like uh, when we see Jesus. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That's this earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and he will be with his people and God himself will be with them as their God. The reason for the separation, the reason why God was so harsh with the Israelites is because he was calling them not to follow a set of rules for the sake of rules, but to follow a set of eternal ways that would bring about eternal relationship with the Father. When we accept and when we elevate the gods of this world, we sacrifice the eternal relationship for the finite world, for the world that is passing away. When we look at the culture around us, when we look at the world around us, we have to ask ourselves what things are passing away and what things are eternal. Church, the people around us are eternal, and God wants to save them. In Joshua 24, 19, you don't have to turn there, but basically the the people of Israel make a commitment. They say, yeah, we will serve the Lord. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. And then Joshua turns around in verse 19 and says, Joshua says to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord because he is a holy God. I think what Joshua was saying, that even if you make all the commitments, even if you strive, even if you swear this day and we sign a covenantal decree, you are still going to fall short of what you are saying. And indeed, it is true for us that we fall short of perfectly following God. But in Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 8, we see that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great, church? As we go to the world around us, as we wrestle with the world around us about what is, who is the true God and what is the right thing to do, we have to know that we come to the argument with no ability to save ourselves, that it is only by grace that we have been saved so far and that we are being saved. One old school preacher said this. He said, sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. Sometimes we believe that about the commands of God. It's like, that sin is bad because God said it was forbidden. No, it's forbidden because it is bad. God's rule isn't about keeping us from good things. God's rule and ways about establishing relationship with him. 
Creation belonged to God, but humanity said we had a better way. Creation broke under man's pride, and Christianity is the resubmission back to esteeming God's original created order and his design for, for, for the new heavens and the new earth. Not because our fallen desires and hearts are any different to those outside these walls, but because by his generous revelation, he has, made, he has shown to us the eternal way to live. We are Christians who struggle with all the things that the world struggles, but by the way of Jesus, we have a better way. And by the promise of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power to live in those ways. And when we don't live up to them, for the things still left on the table, we have 1 John 3, where it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. I've shared this verse before. It's my favorite verse of the Bible, because I know how messed up Andy is. I know how messed up my life still is, and I know the things that I still offend God with time and time again, and I know that I'm still a work in progress. And the reason why I love this scripture is because it, it says that when I see Jesus, I will be like him. I spent most of my teen years just grieving the sinful ways that were in my life. I was hugely addicted to pornography, and it, it ruined probably decades of my life. And I knew, but I clung to that verse saying that, God, one day I will be like you. One day I will be like you, even if my own strength is failing me right now. And as Joshua, as we land and maybe as the worship team come back up here, as we land today's message, we realize that Joshua was calling out the next generation who were going to take the promised land. They stood on the precipice of a generational leap, and we stand time and time again with generational leaps happening all around us. Generational leaps stir up frustration in the church, stirs up frustration in the culture, and it reveals the heart behind it all. The church needs to learn to run again. Frustrated times lay behind and in the future as well. But beyond these tensions, we ask that God reveals the heart. The reason why I love what Richard brought up here uh, this morning is I couldn't get this out of my mind in Joshua's story. And it was before he went to Jericho. It says in Joshua 5, verse 13 and 14, it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes, looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a sword in his with a sword with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? So many times we look at the different battles taking place in culture and we ask God, are you for us? Or are you for our adversaries? Are you with us, God? Are you going to win this battle? Or are you going to be, or is, or is our enemies going to win? And I love the response of the angel here. It says, and he said in verse 14, he said, no. <laughs> Joshua asked, are you for me or against me? And the angel said, no. <sighs> that would be particularly terrifying. And I wonder what kind of no it would be as well. It would be the no of an angel I, man I imagine as like a thunderclap kind of no. The Lord is not for or against the battles of man that man establishes in his own journey. But the Lord God is sending us to the battlefield for those certain things at the right time. For the, for, the, for the Israelites, he sent them to Jericho, and this was just before Jericho, and we heard the walls came tumbling down when they were obedient. It was this commander of the army of the Lord saying, now I have come. But when we bring things that are just spewing out of our heart, God wants to align and says, like, no, that's not what I'm doing right now. Actually, I'm after the battle that I want to win right now. And we need to be attentive to God to figure out what is the battle, what is the next battle that he is drawing to us. He says, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Can you imagine 
what responsibility the commander of the army of the Lord has. Can you imagine what even the army of the Lord is, yet alone the commander of that army? The authority, the power, the ability to deliver Israel. And Joshua fell on his face and worshipped and said, What does the Lord say to my servant? Instead of coming to the Lord and saying, Hey, fight my battles, Joshua quickly turned and said, Hey, what do you want to say to me? What battles do you want me to fight? Will we be a generation that looks for the battles of God? And fights them in his ways. We have a different weaponry today. It's not the, the, the bloodshed that is spilt by the enemy that wins the battle. But it is the bloodshed of Christ that wins the battle for us. And there is inheritance waiting. In 1 Peter, perhaps as we stand here, I just want to read 1 Peter 1 verse 3 to 9 and read it over us. The apostle says this, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than that for fine gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Church, as we end this word today I felt God challenge us like Joseph was challenging his people on a generational leap the world is changing around us in more ways than we can count will we be a generation that like the Israelites came back from that charge and says yes we will follow God We can't do it in our strengths, but we do have to resolve to do it. (laughs) We do have to commit to do it. And as we end here and as the worship team worships for us, we need to stand and we need to examine. We need to find what has become the golden calf in our life. Perhaps it's a future relationship. Perhaps it's your kids. Perhaps it's an inner battle that's happening churches. Deborah was praying in the prayer meeting this morning. She spoke to us the truth that there is power. There is power here today. There is no other God that compares to the God of the Bible. This created world is His. Although it's broken and messed up because humanity walked away from Him, it's created and it's His. And He is redeeming every person who comes. Church, as we stand, let us examine our hearts. Let us put away the gods of our fathers and let us pick up the call of God. Strongholds come tumbling down when we shout the name of Jesus. And church, if there is something in your spirit that is yelling at you, that is saying there's this big divide between you and God, we would love to lay hands on you here this morning. We would love for you to come to the front and pray. Thank you, worship team.